Is faith merely the belief that God exists? Or is there something more to faith? How does faith inform and change and direct and guide our lives? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says that faith, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The Hebrew writer tells us also in chapter 11 that without faith it's impossible to please God. So what is faith? That idea of conviction, that idea of assurance, does something more than simply say, I believe in something abstract. It's a conviction. The insinuation of a conviction is that it, it propels you to do something. It ought to move us. It ought to drive us. Hebrews chapter 11 is a, is a great chapter because it talks about the heroes of faith. And what we want to do over the next several weeks uh, is look at some of these examples uh, of great faith, these stories of faith, and see how they instill in us and to us how we ought to live by faith. One of the great examples that we see in Hebrews chapter 11 and in Genesis is the story of Noah. It's an extraordinary example of what it means to have faith. And I think that as we look at the story of Noah, we will see that Noah's circumstance isn't all that different than ours. And if Noah was able to live by faith in that circumstance, perhaps we can live by faith in ours. So if you have Bibles with you this morning, please be turning to Genesis chapter 5, although we'll just be a moment in Genesis chapter 5, but most of our time this morning will be in Genesis 5, 6, and 7, which is the story of Noah. I want you to notice in Genesis chapter 5 that we're introduced to Noah and the genealogies and, and simply of his existence. Noah chapter 5, verse 32 simply says, Now Noah was 500 years old, and Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. This morning what we want to do is we want to look at how Noah's life was shaped by his faith, the conviction that he had. We want to notice his life. We want to think about Noah's work on the ark, and we want to notice how he lived, or how we can live, counterculturally, as Noah did. Let's think about Noah's life. We don't know a whole lot about Noah's life. We know that the culture in which he lived was tremendously wicked. Chapter 6, verse 5 tells us that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. How does that resonate with you? That as God looked down upon mankind, he saw that the intent of mankind's heart was evil. Not just a little bit of evil, but that every thought of man was continuously dwelling on evil, doing evil, behaving with evil. Now keep in mind this is a period of time in which we're told in Genesis that God 
talking to the fathers. The Hebrew writer says in various times, God spoke to the fathers. Everybody's at some point had that relationship with God from the descendants of Adam down. Where did that stop? When did that stop? Scripture doesn't tell us. But it's somewhere down the line that communication broke off. Somewhere down the line, men forgot God, even though he had communicated with their dad or their granddad or their great-grandfather. They forgot to think about God. And their thinking was consumed with evil. What is evil? Moses doesn't express the thought or define evil force. But we can imagine that evil is the absence of doing God's will. It, it could be any number of things, I suppose. But as you read through Genesis chapter 6, he keeps talking about violence. 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 Look at 6, verse 6. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man from whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, and I am sorry that I have made them. Look at verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted their way upon earth. Think about evil. You think about violence. We live in a generation today that says, live and let live, as long as you're consenting. Right? It's okay as long as no one is hurt. But when you think about sin, sin is violence to somebody else. A couple nights ago, we were watching Andy Griffith. There was a new boy in town, and the new boy said, let's go swipe some apples to the rest of the boys. You know, who cares about an apple, right? A single apple, what is that? 89 cents, 69 cents? I don't buy fruit very often. But one apple's not all that much. But if you're a farmer and you take your things into Mayberry, and five or six boys come by, that's a little bit of money. Is it going to break you? No. Does it take advantage of you? Sure. Every sin that you can commit harms somebody somehow. Genesis says, Moses says, that man's heart was only on evil continually. And the earth, verse 11, was full of violence. I can think of some pretty nasty things, some pretty mean things, <coughs> excuse me, that people do to other people. And you don't have to go to Florida to find it. It takes many forms. But things were so bad that God earth and he said are you kidding me that's not in the Hebrew but he says are you kidding me 
they have become this corrupt? I am sorry. I have made them. And that was the context in which Noah lived. That was the world in which he lived. But there was a difference. Verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor. Verse 9, these are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Now, here we have a contrast because the world was full of evil. I was talking to someone once from a Calvinistic background, they, and, and he said, see, the world is so evil, the world is so corrupt because of the fall of man that nobody could follow God. But if that was true, why was Noah blameless? If that were true, how is it that Noah found favor in the eyes of God? You see, the old excuse that says, the devil made me do it, doesn't fly. Because here was Noah who lived, we're told, chapter 5, verse 32, 500 years. And after 500 years, it could be said of that man that he found favor in the eyes of God. After he lived for 500 years, he was said to be a man that was righteous and blameless. If it was impossible for a man to make a choice to follow God, certainly Noah was in that position because he was surrounded for 500 years of people doing everything the opposite of what God wanted, and yet he still chose to follow God. And to be blameless and to be righteous so that he found favor in the eyes of God. I wonder if Noah was a preacher. What would it have been like if Noah had been a preacher in that circumstance? Come to find out, Noah was a preacher. We have to fast forward to the New Testament to find this out. But if you turn over to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, we find out that Noah was a preacher. But he must not have been a very good preacher. Notice what God says, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. Speaking about how God carries out his judgment, it says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, And God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now notice 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 through 20. A strange passage, one that's hard to understand. But Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 17, For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing right rather than doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, 
the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now notice this. In which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. What makes this passage hard to understand is understanding in what sense did Jesus go and preach to the souls now in prison during, who were alive during the days of Noah's life. And that's a sermon for another time. But what I want you to see here is that according to Peter, Peter chapter, or 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter was a, or Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And the Spirit of Christ in some form, maybe through Peter's preaching, or maybe through his own spirit directly. I don't know. But during the days of Noah's constructing the ark, the message was sent out. Nobody responded. Nobody responded. It takes Noah a long time to build the ark. And no one responds. There are some that suggest that maybe Noah was a preacher of righteousness from the time we're introduced to him in Genesis chapter 5, verse 32, when he's 500, to the time in which the ark is completed and the flood is upon the earth and Noah's family comes out of the ark when he is 600. Does that mean it took Noah five or 100 years to build the ark? But there are some that say maybe that was a time frame in which Noah preached. I don't know. But that would mean that he preached for 100 years and no one responded. Would you go to church with a preacher where no one responds for 100 years? He's not a very good preacher. That's not very good outreach. But you see, that was the world in which he lived. No one cared about God. Everyone did their own thing. Everyone pleased themselves, and in pleasing themselves, they did violence to other folks. Does that happen in the world today? Is our world messed up because there's a whole bunch of folks that would go please themselves and leave little ones without family leadership? Without a dad? Without a mom? Do we live in that world? Do we live in a world in which people say, God just wants me to be happy, so I'm leaving everything and doing my own thing? Because God wants me to be happy. Your family. Did God want your children to have stability? Did God want your children to have a chance in this world? Just ask him. Is that violence to others? Do we live in a world in which people will go and take advantage of other people, whether financially or in some physical way or, or, or any number of ways? I mean, do we have to look far for examples of any of those? And people forget God. That was Noah's world. 
and people don't care about God. People ask the question, why is the church getting small? Which church? Church of the Christ? Denominational churches? In the United States, yeah, all of them. Go to Africa, go to Asia, maybe a different story. But here, yeah. Why? People don't care about God. They're losing their trust, their faith, their allegiance to God. That's the world we live in. Not as bad as Noah's. Because God looked down at Noah's world and he said, hey, that's the way I made these guys. But Noah was a righteous man. I wonder what kind of dad Noah was. The text doesn't really say, but it says he takes his sons and daughters-in-law along with himself and his wife into the ark. I wonder if God would have allowed him to take his sons if they were as bad as the rest of the world. What's interesting is that his sons are married, and they're apparently faithful to their wives, and their wives are evidently faithful to his sons. Living in a world for 500 years where that was not evidently what people did suggests that maybe Noah was a good dad. He was certainly a good dad in that he exemplified righteousness to his children and to his family. But you see, Noah lived in a wicked, wicked world. Noah was truly living counterculturally by living a godly life. He practiced righteousness in an adverse setting. He had conviction about God. And it takes conviction to live contrary to the world. Conviction says, this is what I believe, and I'm not backing down. And for Noah to live 500 years in that environment, and then to get a message from God, go build something that no one has ever seen before, because something's going to fall from the skies that no one has ever experienced before, and everyone's going to... Make fun of you. Ridicule you. I mean, imagine what people said about Noah. There's that 500-year-old guy out there beating away with his wooden hammer, putting some tree sap on this thing. What is rain after all? It's like somebody from Lubbock. What is that? Right? And so that's how Noah lived. But you see, when everyone is saying, no, I'm going to do my own thing, and you live completely different, that's what it is to live counterculturally. That's what it is to live with conviction. What does the Hebrew writer say? Faith is the assurance of things not seen. The conviction, or the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He was convicted. He was convinced of who God was. So that when everyone else in the, around him was going this way, he stood strong. I wonder if anyone ever called Noah closed-minded, old-fashioned. I suspect maybe some of those terms might have been used for Noah. And that's what it took for Noah to be called faithful. Or was it? Was that all that it took 
Think about Noah's work on the ark. The world was focused on doing evil things, yet notice how Noah completes his, ask, his task. Two times it says Noah did as he was commanded. Look at chapter 6, verse 22. After God tells him how to build the ark, the things that are to go on the ark, how he is to take care of those animals. Verse 22, chapter 6. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. According to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Noah didn't say, hey, God, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can I do it like this? God, can I change up this over here? God doesn't really care if I use this, does he? God said, make it out of gopher wood. And he did. Exactly as he was commanded, so he did. You see, he was convicted. He was convinced of who God is. And he was convinced in God's power to save. And he was convinced of what God wanted him to do. So that's how he did it. Chapter 7, verse 5. Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. God says, verse 4, chapter 7, After seven more days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. I'm going to save the world by destroying the wickedness in it. And it's not going to be fun. And it's not going to be good if you're not faithful to me. Noah did all that was commanded him. He followed God. How easy would it have been for Noah to have assumed that any way would have done? That is to say that uh, I can do it my own way. I can think of better ways to do this. I think I can be more effective doing this. No, Noah did it exactly as God commanded him. And so Noah worked on the ark. It's absurd to think that Noah would have done anything differently. Noah was assured of what he hoped for, life. He was convinced, convicted of what God told him to do. And so Noah listened and acted. And that's what the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 11. For it is impossible to please God without faith. For those who come to him must believe that he is, and he is able to save those who follow him. Noah acted because of his conviction, because of his faith in God. And that's what faith is. Faith isn't simply believing that there's a God out there somewhere. Faith isn't simply believing that there is a, a, a deity or some wisdom or some brain or some being out there. Faith is convicted of who God is and acting on it listening to God's word and obeying it. And that's what we see in all of these individuals in Hebrews chapter 11. 
God tells them something and they act on it. Over and over again, the Hebrew writer gives us these examples of men and women of faith. They believed and they acted. Even though Noah lived in the days of the patriarchs, God spoke to the fathers. Most had forgotten God. The culture was not concerned with God, but Noah was sure to do exactly as God commanded. So the question for us is how do we live counterculturally today? Are we thrilled with violence? I think the world sometimes is. It's disgusting when you see 17 young people murdered, butchered, and some are evidently happy to use them as pawns in a political game, to trot them out. And have them speak words that for perhaps for some are deeply felt. But you wonder, where are those words really originating? And is it right to use them, to exploit them? The violence is forgotten in the political game. We watch YouTube videos of fights, all sorts of things. And I must admit, sometimes it's tantalizing. If you like crime shows, to sometimes see the things that you can find on YouTube. And news stories break. Oh, this happened here, this happened there. Oh, I see what that, what was that like? But I wonder if our culture is consumed with violence. And how we glamorize it in video games, in movies, in music. I'm, you, this may surprise you. Hold on to your seats. Chris, I know you don't know me that well, but I'm not a fan of rap music. I don't have too many rap albums, although I must admit, back in the 80s, I did listen to the Fat Boys every once in a while. <laughs> if you listen to some of the lyrics that are, that are, that are said to be top albums. I mean, they talk about doing all sorts of things to all sorts of people. And yet we wonder why the Me Too movement is necessary. Are we, do we have split messages here? What's going on? We're in a world that loves violence, just like Noah was in a world that loved violence. We are in a world that doesn't care about God, doesn't seek God. And we wonder why we have some of the problems that we do. How do people view the commands of God. Postmodernism questions the reality of absolute truths, absolute values. Therefore, we tell people, find your own path. Is that your truth? Just find your own truth. What? If any of our doctors in the room would have a patient say, oh, just find your own truth, doc. Okay, you know, no, of course not. You, you want to know what's true when your life is on the line. And yet when it comes to this, so many people are willing to jettison that and say, no, just, there's no way you can know the truth. And so we live in a society that's built on that premise. 
And even in the religious world, we seem to encounter people who seek their own ideas over the written word of God. And so sometimes we can be influenced by the world. Sometimes we're tempted to adopt the values of the world. I was talking to somebody just uh, within the last day or two, and, and this particular person was talking about how her, her kids used to go to a, a, a private school uh, in the area. And uh, she said, I, you know, I don't know what's worse, uh, sending your kids to a private school that teach a, a skewed theology or sending your kids to a, a public school where there's all sorts of things going on and, uh, you know, your kids encounter drugs and, you know, all sorts of stuff, you know. Sometimes when it's right there out and open in front of you, it's almost easy, easier to ignore that or to be prepared for that than the slight little changes that people will make to God's word and God's truth. So as Christians, we have to be careful of that. But I suggest to you that we accept God even when the world rejects Christianity and that we begin to live counterculturally. We choose to follow God out of conviction rather than accepting what the world is doing. We promote Christ rather than joining the world. We teach our kids to stay strong and follow God rather than following the world. We need to accept God rather than the world. Noah built the ark just as God commanded him. He did so out of conviction of things not seen. That is faith. And God has told us how to come into a relationship with Him by being united with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. And we are convicted by that. That is a message that we preach, that there is a God who loves you and wants you to be right with Him. And here's how you enter that relationship. Peter says that just eight souls were saved from a sinful world through the waters of the blood. And he says there in 1 Peter chapter 3, the same passage we read earlier, and corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not a washing of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a clean conscience. It's part of the message that we are convicted by, and that we teach, and that we share with others. Do you have faith? How convicted are you in your faith? If you want to hear God and by through His Word and by conviction and by faith, follow Him by being united with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. Why not come and do that this morning? Maybe there are other needs that you have in your life today. You want the prayers of the church and encouragement of the church. Whatever those needs are, won't you come and make those things known as together we stand and sing?